Welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's summertime, midsummer, and it's uh, the season where I guess you would say we have our meetings, although they're all virtual this year. So we've done a, a documentation meeting, we've done a controlled substance meeting, and we just did a board review meeting. So I'm going to go over a, I guess, a pretty relevant, interesting lecture that affects us all, and it's about geriatric pain. Growing old is like being increasingly penalized for a crime you haven't committed. Anthony Powell. That is true. Now, the important thing about this lecture is that it's going to be abbreviated a little bit because I talk so much about other types of problems with the aging individual in other podcasts, but I want to hyper-focus on medications, and I'm going to put this in two parts, because this is the one I gave for the board review, and it's pretty long. That's not bad. It just is, it's tough to absorb driving to work or wherever you're headed, jogging on the treadmill at the gym. What? Wait, what did I say, gym? No, gyms are closed. This is the COVID era, so we're pretty much a virtual world. Our annual meeting's going virtual. Every other meeting we've had, we just did on Zoom, and we are learning. <laughs> it's, uh, it's complicated, but it's actually kind of efficient. We don't have to get on an airplane, travel to a distant site, take time out of the practice or work, and then fly home pretty much exhausted and then go see patients the next day. We want to feel like we're learning as continuing medical education is becoming a really important topic in the next 10 decades. And that is because we are really important topic in the next 10 years because we are going at warp speed to this learning curve, and we're going to have a new problem come up, and that's AI. What? what? AI? Yeah, AI. Uh, this algorithmic world we're going to have to live in. I think medicine's going to go there. Artificial intelligence is kind of cold, it's kind of robotic, and when we talk about evidence-based data, we talk about outcomes data. I'm listening to Fauci, and oh gosh, all these uh, talking heads on TV. What it comes down to is computers are going to be huge in medicine over the next 10 years because they're getting fast. We're connecting. We're getting a lot of data through the electronic health record, and we start getting interoperability with these uh, electronic health records where data is shared. It's going to be mined, and next thing you know, we're going to be told, do this, do this, do that. Don't do that. All right, so let's get into the graying of America. In 1990, there was about 31 million Americans. They're getting older than 65 years old. Is that old? I don't think so. That number is expected to double by like 2025. So 
as some of the baby boomers and millennials that are going ha 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 right now, that's expected to increase fivefold by 2050. So about 35 to 70 percent of individuals, uh, 65 of age or older, they suffer from chronic pain, and that's from Turk, and that's in clinical geriatrics. That's an old article from 1998. It might as well uh, be like us as we get a little older, but it's true. Numbers don't lie. But chronic pain doesn't have to necessarily be part of getting old. So this is what we're going to go through. I'm going to go through the definition. Age 65 or older is young elderly. I didn't know that till I helped with this um, development of a webinar or Zoomy or whatever we were doing. 75 years is considered older elderly. Now, they also talk about this erroneous assumption about chronic pain. It's greater than three months, et cetera, et cetera. That's dated. And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now about what chronic pain is. That's going to be another podcast. All right, so when you look at demographics, that's what we look at with populations. 12% of the population in the USA is in that kind of younger elderly. And most of those folks have some kind of pain. Really, 80% of people that hit 50, um, and don't forget, 46.7% statistics are made up right on the spot, right? That's a joke. Um, They have back pain. Everybody gets some kind of labeled back pain. It might be referred, oh, it's my buttocks, or it's my lateral thigh, infragluteal, whatever. But it's related to the three-joint complex. That's a disc up front and two joints in the back. They each have nociceptors. Nociceptors are normal if they have pain associated with them. Two major nociceptors are A-delta, fast electric-like pain, and C-fiber, dull, aching, bone break, bone hurt type pain. It's not characterized well. But those two nociceptors are really important because they tell us how to treat pain, both pharmacologically and with our interventions. So when you talk to people, you got to kind of understand what their experience is. And when you go in to see a a physician or healthcare provider of any type, Tell them what your experience is and be organized. When you go in there, understand we have a limited amount of time. Sorry about that. We didn't make the rules. We didn't make the systems. I wish it was Marcus Welby, you know, practice out of the house type thing. Oh, no. I brought Marcus Welby up with kind of a middle-aged individual I was talking about. And he goes, who? (laughs) Oh, geez. So uh, go to YouTube. Check it out. Hitchcock, uh, from the Journal of Pain and Symptom Management, ancient journal, said that about 70% really started feeling hopeless about their pain. But the key and pivotal point here and the comment I have to make is 50% contemplated suicide. That's some serious pain. So what are the changes with age? We call them physiologic changes with age. Well, it's common, and pain is not a normal part of aging. 
it's greater in the elderly or young elderly. I'm going to say everybody's young elderly because younger groups, uh, they do what we call bounce back. You know that. Uh, I hurt my back. Well, in a few hours, you're better. Take a Motrin. So what do we see when we look at the literature? Well, a lot of nothing because everybody's interested in the working folks or the middle-aged folks, but the older folks, most people that are in pain clinics and most people that have pain, only 1% of about 4,000 papers published annually focus on the aging population. That's from Farrell. It's an older paper, too, but uh, it came from Annals of Internal Medicine. So, what's going on? When we see patients in the office, we know that there are some important things to understand about those that are aging. Do they come in with other folks? I hope so. I hope that uh, daughter, uh, friend, uh, neighbor that uh, sees the behaviors of the individual, knows the functions, activities of daily living, comes in. Because many older folks have a blunted response or a diminished response to pain. Think of it like fever. Uh, Older folks just don't respond. They don't get a fever. Think of an older folk that had 104 fever. Well, it would be killing them. And many kids that are younger, two and younger, for example, they get 104, and we give them Tylenol. Situational depression and anxiety is rampant in this population. And there are cognitive and communication barriers, and that would be like Alzheimer or uh, forgetfulness, uh, you know, senior moments. I hate that term. It's so degrading and multiple medications they have this like chemical straitjacket they are taking medications that are kind of reserved for different populations and some of those populations have evolved into being quote elderly the amitriptyline is the world which is a terrible drug for older folks that's uh, elevil if you don't know it Dry mouth, dry eyes, dry everything, constipation, memory disturbance, where do I stop? And some of these medications like benzodiazepines that are a, a cultural staple in America, and we're not the only country, by the way, you, when I see a 70-year-old who's been on uh, a praiselam or Xanax for, oh, going on 10, 20 years, I'm jeez, who's doing this to you? Uh, who, who would do this to you? It interferes with sleep architecture. You don't sleep well. It interferes with pain. You tend to have more pain. Yeah, believe it or not. Oh no, I need my med to go to sleep. You're going to sleep because you're sedated, but you're not getting good sleep. You're not getting restorative sleep in stage four. That helps with memory generation. That helps with understanding the refreshment of sleep. Now, you're up there somewhere else, and if you do sleep studies in these people, chronic benzodiazepines, oh, I take I take my sleeping pill at night, and you see subtle memory issues, and if you test them, they're there. Let me tell you about a, a physician that I know. You know. I mean, he's a 
good guy, a good physician. And he got wrapped up in appraisal land. He got wrapped up in it. And eventually he started slipping enough that he kind of got noticed and kind of got investigated. And they did an IQ test on him. And that's really okay. We need to be accountable to the community and to our patients in general. His IQ was 86. The benzodiazepine knocked him down that far. He didn't just bounce back. It took two years. These drugs are not benign drugs, and the elderly getting benzodiazepines, I think, should stop. Okay, we'll put it to the rare short-term incident. Yeah, you can have them. That's fine. I, I don't mind. You know, your spouse dies. I mean, you need a little help. They do help with situational anxiety. They don't help with depression. They can make depression worse. Just be aware of that. So that's a chemical straitjacket um, we look at. Barbiturates are another. I need my furanol, my furoset. I need that sort of thing, which is a barbiturate. Uh, it, uh, it's just not safe, and it's archaic medicine. And then there is cultural and social barriers, race, gender, and ethnicity. And those are not benign issues either. They're huge. If I walk in a room and I have a communication barrier, um, I don't understand the language or the culture, I feel it immediately. Immediately. It's a good idea to have a friend, family, or somebody, social worker, whoever you can get to assist because, let's face it, these things are life. Uh, I think this great melting pot, which I fully endorse in America, is um, going to continue. And I will see more and more of it, maybe not so much as those that are 10 to 15 years behind me. That's not a bad thing, but it's an important thing in medicine. It's completely lost to thought when we start thinking forward. We should be thinking in medicine, not now, but three, six, nine, and 12 years, right? Yeah, you're right. That's the, <laughs> that's the benchmarks I give folks a lot of times, only in months. But it's true. We have to look forward because how we're thinking in 1990 is not how we're thinking now. And um, ethnicity can interfere with access to care. Here's some myths. Pain is an inevitable part of aging. No, it is not. Pain always means a serious illness. No, it doesn't. It is a sign of personal weakness to complain of pain. This is cultural. Uh, that's one of the barriers, and I'm aware of that, and I'm cognizant to uh, work that motivational interviewing thing I do or work the family or work somebody to help me. Uh, you cannot sit with a patient 10 to 15 minutes in a room and tell them, hey, don't worry about it. No, it is deep. It is in the limbic system. It is part of their thought process. It should not be blown off. This is one of the most important myths in pain medicine there is. It's not personal weakness. It is not a flaw. Pain is, uh, is real. And pain is a personal experience. 
it comes in perspective. Uh, it's often uh, described of as uh, one of those things that you should not have because you are older and you're of wisdom, and it has nothing to do with that. It's physiologic, it's genetic, and it's biopsychosocial. Got all that? It is not personal weakness. The elderly have a higher tolerance. Oh, no, 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 no. It's like saying babies don't feel pain. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Pain is pain. And actually, I think babies have a higher level of pain, but they don't know how to express it. They don't know where to take another human down the pathway of help me, help me, help me. The elderly, due to many barriers, also don't have that way to express, help me, help me, help me. They may say, I just need my uh, little pain pill and I'll be okay. My little Xanax, I'll be okay. Now, dig deeper because they don't have a higher tolerance. Um, And I'm going to comment just for a second about opioids and uh, narcotic-based pain medication, whatever you want to call it. They... Uh, respond basically the same as younger folks. Yeah, they may have a little more side effects, constipation, dysphoria, and that sort of thing, but dependence is the same. It's the same. You can get hooked on Starbucks or a good beef steak the same way you can get hooked on an opioid. Ah, just today I dealt with a 70-year-old whose metabolite was benzalignine. (laughs) What's a big word? It's an ugly word. Yeah, it's cocaine. So, yeah, it was confirmed. He's a cocaine addict. And you have to have a wide open differential for the expression of pain. This individual was not taking pain medicine. Why? couldn't get pain medicine or didn't want to take pain medicine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because he didn't want a personal weakness, but he had access to cocaine. And cocaine can eh, can reduce pain from a number of things we can talk about another time. There's a rabbit hole. Patients complain of pain to get attention. Oh, no, 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 they don't. Uh, they don't want attention, especially uh, in the previous discussion higher tolerance, personal weakness, that sort of thing. No, they don't complain of pain to get attention. They don't want to get attention. Talk to the World War II generation, unfortunately, it's leaving us. Talk to the Korea generation. They, you know, go to a veteran's hospital. They don't complain of pain because uh, of a number of biopsychosocial issues. Patients uh, do not complain of pain to get attention. They complain of pain because they have pain. Sometimes the interpretation, the very subjective nature of pain is one thing, but they're not doing it to say, hey, look at me. They don't have pom-poms in their hand and doing splits on the sidelines. Nope, that's not them. They're not cheerleaders for their pain. What they, and nothing against cheerleaders, um, they have absolute uh, physiologic mechanisms, both from the limbic system, the personality of pain, and from the real pain that they're experiencing. My back is killing me. 
lumbar stenosis. It doesn't go away. Every time they walk, they get uh, venous congestion in their spine, and they have to stop in the grocery store, and they have to wait a minute or two. They have to sit down, or, oh my gosh, my leg is killing me, and my neuropathy... And, it, and the list goes on and on. All right, another myth. Elderly patients are more likely to get addicted. Okay, I just talked to us about that. No, not addicted. Um, we're going to use the word dependence. No, they are not more likely. Pretty much everybody's the same. And I'm going to make that blanket statement, but remember, some of these studies are not good, and some of the studies don't exist. But uh, I think that anybody that has a responsibility to fully assess her patient and understand pain's w- pain will re- report this. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up here by talking about the experimental pain detection. What is the threshold in the older folks? All right, inconsistent findings. Presbyologos, uh, loss of pain sensibility with age. Yeah, that does happen. The sensitivity of the nociceptor, that thing that senses pain, a delta C, dull, achy, throbby C, fast electric, yow, stomach toe, pull away from a hot thing. Um, we look at that in three ways. It, all right, the electrical current, um, you touch something, there's no change there. You're going to pull your hand off a hot deal. All right, heat, um, it has an increased sensitivity as we get older. We don't like heat and mechanical pressure. It's increased. So um, things pressing against things, it's increased. So what, what do I mean by the cutaneous electrical current? That means that how you go from point A to point B, it's decreased. So you have a slower reaction time. I think we all agree with that. And cold, we just don't respond to getting cold as fast as we used to. Same with mechanical pressure. Uh, Heat, well, you know, I could go back and forth about heat, but I think some of the problems with older folks when they get around heat is they don't get out of it fast enough. That's why we see probably more heat uh, stroke and more burns in the older folks. All right, I'm going to wrap it up here and continue this so that we all can understand what's happening around us. Uh, We know folks that are getting older, and we know individuals that are challenged by their pain uh, through no fault of their own. They're just living life. When somebody comes in to me and they say, I have (laughs) have such back pain, it's miserable, I'm getting worse, I'm worse. I say, no. That's good living. Yeah, good living. Just remember that, all right? Let's live good, everybody.